2 Timothy chapter number 2. Second Timothy chapter number 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 19, if you will. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Father, once again we come to you. We ask for the next few moments that you will... Bring a peace and a calm to our hearts and our minds from the affairs of this world that so often consume us and burden us and distract us. And may we for the next few moments lay them aside and focus our hearts and our minds wholly upon you and upon your word. Lord, may you take our hearts, make them pliable, help us to yield them to you fully. May we come to Your Word with open eyes and open hearts, searching and hungering and uh, longing for Your truth to be illuminated in our understanding, to be embedded and engraved upon the tablets of our hearts, and that we would take heed to them. I pray that You would have Your will in this service. And Lord, do a work that cannot be done from a human perspective, but only the transforming work that the might of Your Word the leading of Your Holy Spirit can do in a man's heart. Lord, we long for great, great working in our lives, that we can become more like You, that we can uh, be more glorifying to You, and that we can point more people to You. So, Father, bless all that we say and do in this service, and may it be profitable for Your work and for Your ministry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is instructing young Timothy here, And he begins, as we get to verse number 19, saying that the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal of the Lord knoweth them that are His. And then he makes this statement, and I want to focus in on this, and we're going to look at several things today in a lot of Scripture, so please keep your Bibles handy. The Bible says this, "...and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity." We're living in a day, and and I know this is going to sound like a negative message, but bear with me, it it is a positive message. But we're living in a day where we are spiraling quickly downward in the moral depravity of this world. And Christians are doing the same thing. Years ago, a fellow wrote a book uh, called Rushing Toward Gomorrah, and in it he uh, used a phrase, defining deviance down. And he gave the idea, and I've shared it with you before, that uh, oftentimes we have a, a, a center of where our morals are in our life. And then we have the extreme. And as long as we stay within those boundaries, uh, we still consider them to be moral, even though the further extreme we get, we begin to get questionable 
until finally there's a line where it turns from being questionable to just being outright deviant and wrong. And his, his premise in the book was that the generation that follows us will center their morals at our extreme, at the point of deviancy. And that that generation will have their set of uh, acceptable, although maybe questionable, and then a line of deviancy as well. And that the generation following them will then center their morals at the extreme of the deviancy of the generation before it. And his premise was the idea of how do we get in the places where we find ourselves. In his book, Rushing Toward Gomorrah, of course, using the biblical illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah and how the world had gotten to such a wicked place. Within just a short number of generations from the creation of the world, the mankind had become so wicked, the Bible says that the, every imagination of their heart was only evil continually, and God decided to destroy the world because of it. Saved Noah and eight, uh, eight uh, members of his family, a uh, total of them, uh, from destruction because of how quickly they had spiraled away from what God intended to be a perfect creation, a creation that longed for Him and, and uh, walked with Him in the cool of the day in the garden and fellowshiped with Him. And they had become so uh, rebellious and so anti-God and so against His Word. Uh, we're living in a day where uh, our churches are defining themselves by the distance they keep from the world. And can I share this with you? That should never be our measurement or our unit of measurement. Our unit of measurement should never be to look at where the world is and say, I've got to stay so far away from it because the world is waxing worse and worse, according to Paul. And if the world is waxing worse and worse and we're just trying to maintain a separation from them, the truth is we'll continue to wax worse and worse ourselves. But our unit of measurement in our moral center is never the world, but ought to always be the Word of God. Because this book doesn't change. It doesn't grow worse and worse from generation to generation. It's, it's appalling to me, even in the day that we live, and I think all of us can agree with this, we see it in practical application almost everywhere we look in our society, that there are those people who want to take our world in a morally depraved direction and they, they will push the issue as hard as they can. And they will take as much ground as, as conservative-minded and biblically-minded people are, are willing to remain quiet on until it finally reaches a point where we start to raise our voices and we finally wake up and realize, boy, they've gone way too far. And by the time we do that, they say, okay, you're right, we're sorry. And they come back, but they never come back as far as where they started from. And then we begin to become accustomed to their new norm. And in a few years, they do the same thing again. They push it as far as they can and wait for somebody to shout. And we get up in arms and we start uh, raising uh, 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 opposition to that and start preaching against that. And then they say, you're right, we're going to come back. But they never come back as far as they start. After three or four cycles of this, even the best and well-intentioned Christians will find themselves having moved from where they began. Because again, we're trying to pull back things and say, boy, it's good that they came back 60% of the 70% that they took. But we just lost 10%. And we are living in the society today that God's people have to come back to the Bible and say, I've got to make sure that my life and my morals and what I'm going to teach my family and what I'm going to teach those that are my friends and the influence I'm going to be on the people that I acquaint myself with are going to be based on what does the Bible say. 
Paul tells Timothy here that those that name the name of Christ, in fact, he doesn't say some of them, he doesn't say most of them, he says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You say, well, what is iniquity? The Bible is very clear on it. If you look at the world, iniquity changes from generation to generation. In the day we live, it changes almost day by day and hour by hour. But if you want to know what God's view of iniquity is, it is always the same. And it is always found in this book. Look with me, if you will, in the book of James, chapter 4. We're going to end up back in 2 Timothy, but it will be towards the end of the message here. James, chapter number 4, if you will. <coughs> James, chapter number 4. James warns against some things here. He starts off in verse 1, "...from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts." And usually those are the verses from James 4 that we focus on and that we preach on. But I will say this, that these things that, Paul, that, that uh, James is addressing here in verse number 4, we could say very easily are not of God, they are of the flesh. They're of our own sinful desires. He even states that in those verses. Then he begins in verse number 4. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. And please bear with me on this, that even while he's calling out a specific sin here, the principle that he brings about applies to all sin and all iniquity. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, notice what he says here, Know ye not that the, look at this phrase, the what? The friendship of the world is what? Enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the what? The enemy of God. If I am friendly to the world's philosophies and I'm accepting of them, that that makes me an enemy of God? That's what James is saying. That the friendship of the world... Why? Because the philosophy, the mindset, the, the moral center of the world and the direction it's going is always going to be at enmity with God. This idea of, of, um, of enmity, uh, it, it, gives, it brings about some... some Things that are resulting of it. When the world is at enmity with God, what it means is this. They will not obey God's laws. They, they look at the law that God has given in the Bible and they say, uh, we're not obeying that. That doesn't have authority over us. This is, this is where the friendship of the world leads. It leads to saying, I don't want to obey the law of God. And secondly, it does not allow a person to submit to the claims that God has made in Scripture. That He is the only way of salvation. I don't know how many times in the last month or so as I've been doing some research on some upcoming messages I'm planning on doing, how many times I have seen men that stand in huge areas of influence in religious matters in our nation get on a national television or televised interview, and when they are pinned down to the question, are there many ways to God, or is there only one, they'll sit there and stammer and stutter and say, well, I just believe that there's a lot of different ways, and as long as somebody is sincere, they'll come there. Can I tell you this? That is friendship with the world. 
Because it is denying the claims that God said when He said, when Jesus made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, if any other man, if a man preach any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. It's not the same gospel. It's not the same Jesus. You say, Pastor, that's very narrow. That's what Jesus said. He said, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's a very divisive thing. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. It's two different times in Proverbs, Solomon said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we're living in these days, folks, and I, I want to warn us this morning in the message that we, that we come back to Scripture that we come back to this idea. I, 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 one of the things that has prompted me, I, I, there's been a number of recent occurrences that uh, people that are religious-minded, let me put it that way, in our country. I'm not talking about all just people that would believe the way we believe, but even people that have a desire for religious things. There, there have been a few things that have happened in our culture, in our society, that, that those type of people and many of our people have jumped on and said, Boy, isn't that a great thing, Pastor? Uh, the recent uh, awakening or whatever they had over in Asbury uh, was one. I preached on that a few nights ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, that Boy, it just seems like that's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? And can I say this, that in comparison to the absolute depravity and darkness of our world, it is tempting for us to say something that that's a positive thing, that's a good thing because of how bad our world is. But when I compare it to Scripture, it doesn't line up. And if we're not careful, we'll take that and we'll say, boy, I'm sure glad God is doing this and God has nothing at all to do with it. And I say all that to say this, we've got to depart from iniquity according to the Bible, not according to where society is. There's, I've been watching some clips. I don't have cable TV. Whatever I see, I have to go and try to find on computers. But there's a clip, I guess there's a new movie called uh, um, The Jesus Revolution or something along this line that's coming out. And I'm amazed at how many Christian people are saying, boy, that's that's a great, it's got a great message to it. But can I tell you this, that, that, that when you look into that, that movement and what took place in that thing, the, the immorality that was, that was openly and blatantly done throughout all of that, you have to look at that and say, there was a friendship with the world that was trying to reconcile with God. And the Bible says it can't. It is at enmity with God. We find as we get to, uh, to James chapter number 4 and verse number 4, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that you, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And, and this friendship of the world, first of all, does not obey God's law. Secondly, does not allow you to submit to the claims that he has made of, of Jesus being the only way. Thirdly, it does not seek to honor God. It seeks to honor itself, its flesh. It does not seek to honor him. And then it sets the one, uh, one of these, it sets, it sets a person up in what the, 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 the word I came across here was in array against God. And I, I get the idea when I think, when I think of this terminology and the reason I word it this way was in the, in the Old Testament times when, when two, two enemies were getting ready to have war with one another, they would set the battle in array. Meaning they took a position on high ground and said, you want it? Come get me. But I'm not, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to yield. That is what friendship with the world is 
in a person's mind. You say, well, Brother Greg, I don't think I'm that way, but are we being friends with the world? Are we taking the things that the world is feeding us and saying, oh, that's not all that bad? When was the last time uh, we, we went to a smorgasbord and paid good money uh, for food that wasn't all that bad? Don't we want the best for what we get? Why in the Christian life are we that way? Why do we settle for it's not that bad? I remember years ago, this was years ago, as I was a youth pastor, uh, we were going on a youth activity, and I, I, we had the kids in the van. In the very back of the van, a couple of the kids began to talk about uh, a movie that had come out. And uh, just within a few moments, because normally I, if I heard that kind of talk in the, on a youth trip, I'd shut it down, and I just caught a, a, just a, a second or two of it before I finally spoke up and said something. And, and one of them said, oh, it's, this movie, it was a good movie. It only had, I don't remember how many said, like three cuss words in it. And I thought, how is that a good movie? How did we get to the place in our minds that we think it's okay and it's acceptable to have the friendship with the world and its morals and its, and its standards of morality? How can we look at it? And, and the only thing I can come up with is we have fallen for the deception that the world has gotten so bad that if they make any kind of move back towards where we believe, we look at that as good. And the truth is, I'm thankful they're coming that direction, but they haven't made it yet. They're still not back to Scripture. And when I've got to make a decision, when I lay my head down at night about my conscience, it cannot be based on they made it most of the way back. It's got to be based on, but what does the Bible say? What does it say? I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mean to these folks, but I'm trying to say that as God's people, Satan is using a tactic that is drawing us along with the world. He's, he's, he's putting that fishing lure out there, and just about the time we're about to say, boy, that's it, they've done good this time, he pulls it a little further and a little further. And the next thing you know, we have followed right along and all along made concessions and made compromises on God's Word to say, well, it's a good thing because they've come all this way back to here. My friend, we've got to come back to Scripture. There's no bones about it. God tells us that we're to depart from iniquity. I want you to notice in verse number five, or verse number four, as we James four four still, he says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God." We talked about the things that the enmity with God means. But notice what it says here, and I want you to, if you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, I would ask you to do this. I would ask you to underline the next word here, whosoever. Notice what it says here now. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you know that this word, whosoever, is the same word that is used in John 3.16? That there is a choice. The choice is, in John 3.16, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but shall, not, uh, but shall have everlasting life. The idea is, every man has a free will to choose. And James uses the same word here. As we get to verse number 4, he says, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, it is your choice. It's not something you're going to get to and say, Well, I just followed the crowd. No, you made a choice. Well, I just, I just didn't see it. No, you made a choice to be a friend of the world. You say, Brother Greg, do you, don't, do you not like the world? Yes, I don't like the world when we're talking about its sinful philosophy and its depravity. Do I love the souls that are lost in that world? With all of my heart. 
But folks, we cannot and must not love the world. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are not of the Father. They're of the world. They're of the devil. Folks, we've got to have a revival in our midst here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. There's got to be a revival in churches like this around our country today with all that is happening in the day that we live. And you can almost watch it happening hour by hour that Satan is using religious, seemingly good religious things happening in our society to draw the hearts of biblically minded people away from the Bible and to put them on the things and the enticements of this world seemingly getting better. And what we've got to do is come back to Scripture and say, the work's not done yet. We've still got a ways to go. We've still got to hold the ground. We cannot concede. We cannot compromise. We must stand firm. So I want us to look at several things. Let's go back now, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start here and then look at a number of passages. 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we began. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Once again, I'll begin reading in verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth what? Sure, it does not change like the world does. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there, is not, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. We've got the choice. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and notice this word, and meet, M-E-E-T. It's not a word we use very much in normal language anymore. But it means suitable, proper, aligned with, fitting. Meet for the master's use. In fact, it's the same word that is used in, in Genesis when God talks about bringing Eve to Adam, that she was, there was not found in help meet for him. Help meet is not a word. It's two separate words. She was to be a help meet for him, suitable for him, completing him, helping him do the work that God had given him to do. And this is the same word that is used here, meet for the master's use. So if we purge ourselves from the, uh, the dishonor, the things that are there that would defile the vessel, and sanctify that vessel, that we will be meet or suitable, we will be able to be used in the Master's hand. And, notice this, prepared unto what? Every good work. I was really hoping in Sunday school we could have gotten through to where I wanted to get today, because it fits hand in hand with this message of the idea of being prepared unto every good work. We're no longer under the reign of sin in our bodies. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. We're now in liberty in Christ. Liberty does not mean license to sin. It just simply means I'm no longer under the bondage of sin, and I'm now free to walk in the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit in my life. To be prepared unto every good work, I now am, and God's made a way of escape from that so that I don't have to walk that way anymore. I can now walk in the Spirit. This is what Christian liberty is all about. Flee also, verse number 22, notice this, flee also youthful us. And I want you to notice these two words, and I want if you, again, if you underline, I'd encourage you to underline these. Follow righteousness. 
faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a, notice this, what does it say? Out of a what? Pure heart. Out of a pure heart. If I had to put a title on the message today, the question would be posed, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing today? Are you pursuing after the approval of the world? When, when we choose to be friends of the world, it, it, it creates inside of us a desire to copy them and to emulate them. Have you noticed that? All you got to do is look around at a lot of churches today that have tried to bring the world into the church. It causes us to have a desire to enjoy the pleasures of the world. Have you noticed that? But the thing that I think is probably the most damaging thing when we become a friend of the world is that we seek for the approval and the affirmation of the world above the approval and affirmation of God. The world now becomes our idol. There's a TV show came out years ago, and I, I, I don't know much about it. I know the title of it called American Idol. Can I tell you this? There's a world idol out there. And the sad fact of the matter is a lot of Christians are following it. They're wanting to look like the world, act like the world, smell like the world, talk like the world. In every way, be like the world, to enjoy what the world has to offer, all under the guise of Christian liberty. I came across this saying, I, I wish I knew who wrote it. I would, give, I would give credit to it. It's not mine. But this fellow wrote this. He said, how strange it is that people professing Christianity can suppose that with a worldly spirit, worldly companions, and loves governed by the worldly maxims, that they can still be in favor with God. He said, how strange that is, that professing Christians can suppose that with a worldly spirit, worldly companions, and lives governed by the worldly maxims, that they can still be in favor with God. I know some friends of mine, I know people that name the name of Christ who will probably go and watch this movie coming out. And they'll probably leave there and say, boy, that just had a good message to it. It had a good sound to it. Can I tell you this? We've got to depart from iniquity. There's, there's a place where we've got to draw a line and say, I'm going to follow the Bible. I'm going to come out from among the world and be separate. I'm not going to touch these unclean things. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love the people in the world. That doesn't mean that I don't try to reach them with the gospel. That doesn't mean that I don't go to find a person and to try to share with them the gospel message. But I'm not going to link arm in arm and sit down beside them in their worldliness. I've got to stay away from those things. In fact, the Bible tells us I've got to flee those things. That we're to have no part with the unfruitful works of darkness in our life. As we get to 2 Timothy chapter 22, or chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, uh, follow, but he says, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a, here's the key, pure heart. Out of a pure heart. We've got to have a heart that we come to God daily and say, Lord, search me. Try my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, if I see it, help me to have the courage to get it right with You. Help me to purge it from my life. Help me to long to do good and not evil. Let's go back to the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Go, If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It almost seems like Paul 
Paul believes what he's saying. Because he writes it to young Timothy more than once. In the first letter he wrote Timothy, in chapter number 6 and verse number 11, the Bible says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art, called, art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. My question is, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Look with me in Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. And I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture here. I don't have a whole lot of commentary to give on it because the Bible stands on its own. You don't need to hear my thoughts on it. It really is fairly simple to see. It shouldn't take a whole lot of convincing or, or, or trying to persuade. It ought to have its own persuasion as the Holy Spirit deals with it in your heart. Let's look in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Paul says this, uh, let's back up uh, verse number 10, if you don't mind. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I want you to notice this phrase, and if you have a pen, underline it. But I... Follow after. There it is again. I follow after it. I'm pursuing after it. I'm going. This is the direction I'm going. It's the Bible is leading the way, and I'm following after it. I remember as a kid years ago, our family used to travel to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in the Christmas time months of the year. Not every year, but quite often we did. I didn't see snow being from South Florida, and, and so when we got up there, we were always hoping for snow. And I remember some years that it snowed, and, and as a little kid, you know, it would be almost knee-deep to me. It would only come to my dad's mid-calf or so. But when my dad was younger and I was a young boy, we'd, we'd go hiking up into the, into the hills. We'd rent a little house there on the, on the side of the mountain, and usually we'd go and cut our own Christmas tree down. That was always a lot of fun. And I'll never forget hiking sometimes when I was real little and how tired I would get trying to plow my own way through the, through the snow. But when my dad took the lead and he, took the, and he, and he cleared that snow for me, I, I followed in his steps. It sure made life a whole lot easier. Can I tell you this? In the Christian life, this book leads the way. And you and I are simply to follow it. Why? Because it makes living the Christian life and departing from iniquity so much easier. Notice what he says here in verse number 12. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended in, Jesus, or in Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And notice this phrase. Here's another one that gives you the idea of, of pursuing after. Reaching forth is the word that he uses here. Reaching forth. First, he says in verse number 12, he says, I follow after. In verse number 13, he says, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. Notice in verse 14, I press. Do we get the idea of what Paul is saying here? It's, it's with all of our heart, with all of our fervor, with all of our, with all of our zeal. To say, I want more in my life to be right with this book than to have any approval or affirmation from the world. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. 
while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Oh, that we would learn this truth. To say, Lord, I don't want to just go with the society's direction. I don't want to just do what is, is culturally acceptable. I want to do what's pleasing to you above all. Above all. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number four. Just turn over a page. Philippians chapter number four. And let's look at uh, verse seven. Uh, you know, let's, I want to go back to verse 3 for a minute, and, and we're going to read down. Paul says this, And I entreat thee. Uh, again, this idea of entreating, sometimes they'll use the word beseech. It has the idea of, of, of pleading, uh, putting a strong argument to, giving a reason for. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be anything, any praise, Think on those on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, underline the little two-letter word, do. You know, it is often hard to wrestle with our will and cause it to bend in submission to the will of God in a matter of truth. It is hard to wrestle that. To get to the point of decision. But can I tell you, there is one thing that is harder than bending our old fleshly will to the will of God oftentimes, and that is this. Not just bringing it to the point of decision, but bringing it to the point of action. I know a lot of people who, when I preach this message, there is nothing new in this message you've not heard or understood before. The problem we have is not knowing it. The problem we have is in not doing it. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter number 6. Jesus Jesus speaks here. In verse number 33, He says, But seek ye what? First. The highest priority in life. The thing that outweighs every other aspect of life. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And that's often where we think of this verse. But I want you to notice what else he says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His what? Righteousness. Let's not be swayed by the world. Let's not follow after what appears to be a move towards goodness from such a depraved worldly lifestyle and mistake that as righteousness because it's not. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not the world's righteousness. The world's righteousness is never the standard for us. The very best, the highest quality, the most morally virtuous, worldly philosophy that is out there is not our standard of righteousness. Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, look, you can have all these other things. He says, they're, they're, they're useless. They're useless. He said, now by the faith, hope, the charity, these three. The grace of these is charity. Why? Because what God's Word says is more important than everything else that is out there. Don't mistake the righteousness of the world, the goodness of the world, the apparent moving of the world back to a center position on morals as righteousness. Because it's not. There's only one source of righteousness, and Jesus spoke of it here. His righteousness. Seek it first. Make it the priority. Make it the mindset. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. And verse number 1. The writer of Hebrews writes, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth, notice this phrase, so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race, now notice this, that is set before us. There's a finish line out in front. We see it. It's there. The Bible has paved the way. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It has made it plain. Our job as a Christian, our responsibility, is to run with patience that race that is set before us. And once again, I ask the question, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't take the easy way out. He didn't take the pleasant way out. He didn't seek for the world's approval or affirmation. He did not seek for the pleasures of sin in this world. He did not seek for the world's approval. He saw the joy that was set before him, and the Bible says he endured. He endured the cross. What are we pursuing? Are we more concerned about a life of ease? A life that is lacking in stress? A life with no persecution? Just where we all get along? It's amazing to me how many people who are doctrinally incorrect are being welcomed in with open arms by people who hold to true doctrine simply for the sake of inclusion. Lastly, let's look in Titus chapter 2 and we'll be done. 
Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. Paul tells Titus, teaching, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So this grace that God has given to us not only saves us from sin, but it's going to teach us some things. Let's see what it teaches us. Teaching us that denying, notice this, ungodliness and worldly lusts, we're to deny those things. We're not to pursue after those. What does he tell us? He says we're to live soberly, righteously, and what? Godly. When we get to heaven, you say, Pastor, that's just when I, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to do that. No, no. Look what he says here. That they live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice this phrase. In this present world. Do we believe the Bible? Is it our sole and only authority of faith and practice? Folks, it's, it's been so clear, none of these have been taken out of their context today. It's not like I'm taking a, an audio clip or snippet for a sound bite trying to make a point. This is what the Bible teaches. And what we've got to realize is that while we know these things... The hard thing is to do them. Notice as he gets to verse 13, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from what? All iniquity. And purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Why peculiar? Because there, is though, there are those who will name the name of Christ, who will take themselves after they've been given liberty in Christ and bring themselves back under the law of sin and death and live a carnal lifestyle. God's intent was not to do that. When He saves a man, He makes a new creature in him. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it is His desire that He set us aside as peculiar people. In fact, he tells Titus here that he has purified unto himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. And I want to end with verse 15. These things speak, but he doesn't end there. Exhort. Exhort. Speaking is just letting people know about it. Exhorting is reminding them of it. Encouraging them in it. Edifying them in this. I think it would be a wonderful thing if this church as a whole would make the decision today, we're going to depart from iniquity. We're going to pursue after righteousness. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then, and then to come together as a body of believers and, 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 to, and to encourage one another in this. To help each other in this. Because we all know how frail we are. We all know how tempting the flesh can get. To encourage one another to righteousness, to purity, to godliness. To encourage one another. And not take it as an offense when somebody comes along and tries to encourage us in right living. 
but take it as a wonderful brother that has loved us or a sister that has loved us. And as much as they're encouraging me, I want to encourage them to do so also. Notice what he says here. These things speak and exhort. But I want you to notice lastly, he says this, and rebuke. There may be some that disagree and say, I just don't see it that way, Pastor. It doesn't matter whether we see it that way or not. The Bible still says it. And it doesn't mean that we can't preach about it because you don't believe it. If it's what the Bible says, we still have to teach it. And I'm not doing it in a mean spirit. Folks, I promise you, I battle with this as strongly as anyone in this room. I'm not standing up here saying you guys do it because I don't have an issue with it. We all are in this boat. I'm telling you from a heart of love and as a pastor that wants to be right on Scripture, this is what God longs for us to have. And then I want you to notice the last two words, or last three words. Not the last three, but almost the last three. With all authority. You don't have to take what I've said today as my opinion. Everything I've given you today has been established on the authority of a book that God gave to us. Every word of it. Absolutely pure, absolutely right, absolutely true. I'm teaching you this not because it's my opinion. In fact, if I had to teach this, I probably wouldn't teach it because my flesh doesn't like it. You say, Pastor, I don't like this message. I don't either, to be honest with you. My flesh doesn't. And nor, neither does yours. Our flesh wants to have the pleasure of sin. Our flesh longs for things in the world. I'm not teaching you based on my authority. Paul told, Timothy, or told Titus here, he says, listen, you need to speak, reprove, or, or, uh, exhort, and repro- rebuke with all authority. This is what the Bible says. Let no man despise thy youth. The question today, what are you pursuing? We're living in a day where, sadly, I'm watching. And folks, it's not just that it's not always been declining in our lifetime. What I'm saying is, we have seen the rate at which it is declining expand exponentially in the last year of our lives. And somewhere along the line, somebody's got to stand up and put the brakes on and say, the Bible says this. We must come back to it. I urge you by way of warning today. I would urge you by way of exhorting you today in this. And it may be in your life. I don't know where you're at. It may be by way of need of rebuke in your life. Only the Holy Spirit knows what's needed. The message this morning is, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, I pray that You would give us opened eyes, give us clarity of spiritual sight, that we would be aware, that we would be understanding of the condition, not only that our world is in, but the condition that we find ourselves in following it. And that we would have the brokenness, the contriteness of spirit to bring our will back into subjection to Your Word. To say, Lord, above all, I want to...